This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. It's Kesey. Thank you for tuning in to Shine On. You have a biological clock in every cell of your body. Did you know that? We are walking timepieces. This I have learned today from our two brilliant guests, Dan Pink and Dr. Mike Roizen. And we'll also learn how to play that new game, What's On My Butt. It's a great game. You can play with your kids while you're face down on the couch. All the details are on the way. First, did you know calories count more at night? They do, when your metabolism slows down. So eat during the day. Dr. Mike Roizen from the Cleveland Clinic is here with his colleague, Dr. Mike Krupain. They wrote the book, What to Eat When. And the key is... Casey, the key here, you can reschedule your life pretty easily. So you can still eat with someone, be very sociable. And Mike Krupain loves to cook. So you can cook at night and eat in the morning. Or what I did last night was I had two-thirds of my meal went into a box that I ate this morning. I get up at 4 a.m. and I have my my big meal of the day I have around 7 a.m. and it's a salad. You have a perfect schedule then from a standpoint of eating, eating with the sun Mm -hmm. and you're eating more early, less later, and you're not stereotyping foods, you're having a dinner salad for breakfast. Yeah. Fantastic, Casey. What does it do? What are the benefits of eating during the day? Is it just that we have more time to digest? Well, it really all has to do with your circadian rhythm. So your circadian rhythm is your body's clock. It tells your body to get ready to do the right thing at the right time. So we know it does that for sleep, but it also does it for your metabolism. So your metabolism is actually faster early in the day, and it slows as the day goes on. So what you eat in the morning or at lunchtime in terms of the number of calories kind of doesn't count as much as what you would eat at night. So by eating this way, by eating more early and less later, you actually kind of hack into that metabolism. So you maximize your health, you improve your sleep, you feel more energy, and then you can also lose some weight. Well, this is really a non-diet diet. You get the benefits of a diet without the pain. You're really just changing your schedule. And as Michael implied, that your metabolism is faster in the morning. My favorite study is from Spain where they took people who wanted to lose weight and in Spain they eat their biggest meal around midday. So they had people eat either before 2 p.m. or after 3 p.m. And the group that ate earlier, that ate 75% of their calories before 2 p.m., actually lost 25%. That's a big number, 25% more weight than those that ate later. And the reason is that a calorie that we used to think, a calorie is not a calorie is not a calorie in your body. The calories in the morning are 0.8 calories and the calories in the evening might be as much as 1.1 or 1.2 calories. It's essentially hacking your metabolism to maximize your health and your weight loss by eating more early, less later. I love it. What to eat when? Everybody has to read this. It's so full of great information. Doctors Roizen and Krupain. So somebody has a great big interview. When should they eat? Before, after? Definitely not during. 
Well, they shouldn't eat too much before because you don't want to go in there feeling really full and having an upset stomach. So not right before. You might want to eat a few hours before or after. And you're going to want to eat foods that are going to give you some energy. So you're going to eat some whole grains and some proteins, something that's going to keep you sustained and probably not something you haven't eaten before because you don't want to risk having an upset stomach. If I'm feeling depressed, what should I eat? Um, you want to eat foods that give you the precursors of, of serotonin, essentially. You want to eat foods, not comfort foods, but you want to eat foods that give you the amino acids that help you produce more of the healthy um, amino acids. So watermelon is a good thing to eat and uh, a little turkey or a little breast of chicken. But also you want to eat fats that help your nerves function. And those are the omega-3 fats. So my favorite food, Mike will accuse me of saying this is the answer to almost everything. <laughs> but my favorite food is, is salmon. And that's a great thing to eat to help you avoid depression. We have to buy not the farmed salmon, right? The fresh well free range well, salmon. What you want is, that's right you want to get the um, Alaska over the overage of the wild salmon Alaska run if you will and the best time to get that is to buy it either fresh between Jan June 15th and August 15th or to get it frozen as the Alaska overage so I have nothing to do um, from a standpoint of financially with uh, Costco, no stock, et cetera. But they have wonderful both salmon burgers and salmon fillets that are all the overage of the Alaska salmon run. So they're the healthiest salmon, and you get the most of the nutrients, vitamin D and the omega-3 with, with the minimum of the toxins in them when you get the frozen from the from the overage of the, of the Alaska salmon run. All right, I'm on it. Alaska salmon overage. And since you, you sort of touched on it a little bit, the omega-3s, is there a good time to take a vitamin? Um, you want to take half of one in the morning and half in the evening because the water-soluble components, the bees and the seeds, et cetera, you will urinate those out. You see that with a color change in your urine in under 16 hours. So you want to have a stable level, which means half in the morning and half in the evening, and have it with a half a glass of warm water to minimize any irritation and increase absorption. All right. You're going to keep me busy with this. What to eat when, Drs. Roizen and Krupain. Where can we go for more information? Go to our website. It's whenway.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at when.way. Dr. Krupain with Dr. Mike Roizen of the Cleveland Clinic. It's a great book. To be entered to win a copy, email me from the website casey.co, K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Continuing on our timely journey, Dan Pink is back. His best-selling book, simply called When, helps us make healthier decisions when we schedule things. Tons of practical takeaways in here, too, such as research that supports the idea that the most unproductive time of the day is 2.55 p.m., and we should all stay away from doctors and hospitals in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, this is part of a larger line of research showing that people perform differently at different times of day. And there's an enormous amount of research out there showing that hospitals can be very dangerous in the afternoon. Let me give you some examples. Uh, anesthesia errors are four times more likely at 3 p.m. than at 9 a.m. Uh, hand washing in hospitals deteriorates considerably in the afternoon versus the morning. Uh, endoscopists performing colonoscopies find half as many polyps in afternoon exams as they do in morning exams for the same population. 
doctor is much more likely to prescribe unnecessary antibiotics in afternoon exams versus morning exams. And so, again, you know, as a consumer, if you can avoid it, try to avoid going to the hospital in the afternoon. Um, but no matter what you do, you have to reckon with the fact that our brain power doesn't stay the same throughout the day. It changes. It changes in significant ways. And uh, we have to use this science to try to do a better job of doing the right work at the right time of day. Right. If we take a nap in the middle of the day, will that help? It could. Uh, there's a lot of research on naps. And what it shows is that naps can actually do a, be a really good for restoring uh, mental acuity, for, for giving us energy. That the, the interesting thing, though, is that the very best naps are extremely short, shorter than I ever would have imagined would be effective. But the most effective naps are between 10 and 20 minutes long. Naps longer than that, after 20 minutes or so, you begin to develop what's called sleep inertia, which is that groggy, boggy feeling you get if you sleep too long. And so uh, a 10 to 20 minute nap is like a Zamboni for our brain. It, it just smooths out all the nicks and scuffs on our, on our mental life. Okay. I have sleep inertia. That explains things. <laughs> that explains a lot of things. Um, okay. So, you know, we want to take a nap so we can get up and, and tweet about our nap. When's the best time to tweet? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of mixed evidence on that. One of the, one of the things, the most interesting things about timing and tweeting is that um, there's some really, really interesting research out of Cornell showing, uh, looking at tweets as a way to measure mood. So this piece of research looked at, I mean, literally half a billion tweets, 500 million tweets. And they used a program that allowed the researchers to analyze the emotional content of the words that were used. Did the word convey a positive sentiment, a neutral sentiment, or a negative sentiment? And what they found through these tweets is that mood followed this really intriguing pattern. Mood went up early in the day, declined significantly in the early to mid-afternoon, and then went back up again in the late afternoon and early evening. And it turns out that that hidden pattern in tweets is part of a broader pattern of how our mood and how our brain power changes over the course of a day. Wow. Wow. All right. We have the big game coming up, that big football game that everybody wants to watch. And there is this nugget that sports teams that are slightly behind at halftime are more likely to win. That's true. Uh, there's some great research out of the NBA showing uh, this is Jonah Berger at, at the University of Pennsylvania, Devin Pope at Chicago, looked at about 25,000 NBA basketball games. And they looked at the halftime scores of these games and tried to figure out, do these halftime scores predict the final score? And it turned out, perhaps, I mean, I don't think it should be surprising, that teams that were ahead at halftime were more likely to win the game. Not a shocker, right? The game's half over, they have more points. But there was an exception to that rule. Teams that were trailing by one point were more at halftime were more likely to win than teams that were ahead by one point. That being down by one at halftime was as advantageous as being ahead by two at halftime. Uh, and this is part of a larger body of research on midpoints. Uh, when we reach the middle of something, sometimes it brings us down, other times it fires us up. And one of the most motivating things at a midpoint is the feeling that you're a little bit behind. When people are way ahead at the midpoint, they get complacent. When they're way behind, they give up. But when they're a little bit behind, they really, really bring it. So if you're managing a project 
you know, make sure you flag the midpoint and give your team a sense, hey, you're doing pretty well, but you're just a little bit behind, that, that way they will really, really be motivated and perform at a high level in the second half. Oh, my goodness. We are talking to Daniel Pink. The book is When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. You know, that's like a little naughty having that kind of information. and You're getting more productivity out of your people, right? Yeah, if it's true. I mean, you can't lie to people, but, but, if, it, but if it's true that you're a little bit behind, and, uh, that it can be very galvanizing. Actually, there's some really, really interesting on teams in general, not sports teams, but just like project teams on, in, on the job. This is research from Connie Gersick, at, uh, who was at UCLA. And she, she found that when she actually tracked how teams at, at work perform, so uh, it, it was different from what most people suspected. They, they think, okay, a team forms, they gradually do their work, and then they get it done by the deadline. And what she found was something very, very different. She found that um, when teams first start working, they do very, very little. There's a lot of posturing, a lot of status seeking, but very little actual, actual work. But there's a certain moment that is galvanizing for these teams, that they, where they throw off their old routines and they really get down to business. And she found that this moment occurred almost always at the midpoint of the project. So a team that had 31 days to do a project got started in earnest on day 16. A team that had 11 days to do a project got started in earnest on, on day six. That invariably there was someone who would raise their hand and say, hey guys, we've squandered half of our time, we've got to get going. And, and again, it's another effect that these moments in time have on, on, on how how we behave and how well we perform. We are such quirky little creatures, aren't we? We are, you know, but here's the thing. We are, um, you know, time and when is a big part of who we are as creatures. You know, we, have, we talk about a biological clock. We have biological clocks in every cell in our body. Um, we're in some ways walking timepieces. Uh, we move through time. So, you know, you know we, things have, a, you know, yesterday was the past and tomorrow is the future, right? And so, um, and if we're conscious of this effect of time and timing in our lives, I really think that we can live a little bit better and work a little bit smarter. All right. And it says, if you read this book, you can learn how to turn false starts into fresh starts and know which are the best 86 days to begin again. Tell me more. Oh, yeah. Well, this is a, some interesting research from um, three researchers at the University of Pennsylvania. Again, what they found is that certain dates of the year operate as, as what researchers call temporal landmarks. That is, they're landmarks that stand out in time the way that physical landmarks stand out in space. And these certain dates of the year, they do what landmarks often do to us. They get us to slow down a little bit, take stock. And in particular, these temporal landmarks get us to engage in this peculiar form of mental accounting. So we relegate our, we basically open up a fresh ledger on ourselves. We, we relegate our old bad selves to the past and open up a new ledger on our better selves. And so what this means is that if you want to start a behavior change, you're more likely to start and therefore more likely to follow through on it if you start, say, on a Monday rather than on a Thursday, if you start on the first of the month rather than on the 13th of the month, if you start on the day after your wedding anniversary rather than 
four days before your wedding anniversary. So this is the logic behind New Year's resolutions, which I think have gotten a really bad rap. You know, we, we, we look at this, you know, invariably in, in February, there'll be a story saying, oh, 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 you know, a month later, you know, people have abandoned half of their New Year's resolutions. People are not following through on half of their New Year's resolutions. To me, that that is bearing the lead. It's like, wait a second, people are following, people are following through on the other half? That's pretty amazing when you think about it, when given how hard it is to change our behavior. So just as all times of day are not created equal for doing our work, all dates of the year are not created equal for beginning changes in our lives. Much appreciated. DanPink.com, Daniel H. Pink, the book, Pick It Up, When the Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Casey. Dan Pink, his bestseller, When, now out in paperback. If you want it, email me from the website, kacey.co, And what's new in Casey land? Maybe you're wondering. I have a country dance coming up. You want to wear those cowboy boots? Join me Saturday, February 23rd in Northern Westchester. Casey.co has tickets. And then the first weekend in March, we have a shine-on retreat at Mariondale and Ossining. It's called Discover Your Power Within. And Rosemary Boyle Lasher of Rose Healing Center will be there. She has a crystal lyre. It's, it's amazing. And she's going to start off our weekend with a sound healing workshop. You're also going to learn self-care tools like muscle testing. We talked about that last week with Matthew Ferry. You'll also learn EFT tapping and sunsets on the Hudson, a craft to take home. Please come sign up at Casey.co. Now let's play What's on My Butt. Weird Parenting Wins is the great book from podcaster Hilary Frank. Parental hacking at its best. Ideas such as eat in the bathtub. This is a thing? This is a thing. Yes. When your kid, especially when you have little kids, um, are really messy at the table or don't want to eat at the table, you let them eat in the bathtub, and it's super easy to clean up. Do you put water in the tub, or you just let them eat in the actual bathtub? I've heard of people doing it both ways. Okay. And family screams. This is something also? Yes. So, like, when your family is, like, going at each other, you're having a really hard time, you need to let off some steam. Um, There's one mom who gets the whole family outside, and they all hold hands, and they look at the sky, and they scream. Wow. Okay. And that makes everybody feel better. The energy changes. That's right. Hillary, I know you're an author, but you didn't write all of these great tips and insights in the book. How did you collect them? So I have a podcast called The Longest Shortest Time, and I did a call out to the audience to ask them what their weird parenting wins were, like strategies that they use to get their kids to do what they need them to do that you would not hear from an expert. And we got over 800 submissions, and we used over 350 of them. Many of them made me go, wow. Uh, There was one particular about uh, dropping your kids off at school, and I think they were little kids, and the school had this podcast policy where they would push, that the kids would push the parents out the door. And I'm yeah. like, oh, that, that sounds really cool. But only if the kid's on board, not if the kid's conflicted. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any forcing going on. I think it's like a trick that can work it, it, to help empower the kids. Right. It, yeah. It mm-hmm. would be very empowering. Like, I'm okay, mommy and daddy, you go now. And push them yeah, out the door. Yeah. I mean, I think especially if like all the kids are doing it. Yeah. then it becomes like a game. Yeah. Now, this uh, experiment that you did, probably 
gave you, you know, you're, you're right there, taking all the great mm-hmm. advice for your own kids, right? What, what are some yeah. of the things that you're now using? Something that I've started using a lot is a game called What's on My Butt, which is where um, you lie face down on the couch and you let your kid go find some random object, put it on your butt, and you have to guess what it is. And the longer it takes to guess, the longer you get to rest. <laughs> this is a fun <laughs> game for the whole family. Yeah. Oh yep. my gosh! So you so this is a mom's hack to to get some some relaxation. Yeah, and I wouldn't even, like it's not even so like luxurious relaxation, right? But it's like we need some downtime sometimes, and our, sometimes our kids just want to play, play, play. They have a different energy level than we do. <laughs> we just need some downtime so we can recharge. Right, and I guess the parents too, the moms or the dads playing what's on my butt, they can be really bad at that game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's actually, if you ever try this, it's actually really hard to guess, like, (laughs) some random object on your butt. It's very hard. Well, you know, I hope I get the opportunity to play that soon. Weird Parenting (laughs) Wins is the book we're talking about. It is delightful, and it's written by Hilary Frank, who is the creator of the podcast The Longest Shortest Time, which is thusly named because... Because that is uh, what parenting is like. It feels like it's never going to end, and then it feels like a blip. All right, weird parenting wins. Let's have a few more suggestions. What else can you suggest that we do? For parents who have trouble getting their kids to eat veggies, you can do a thing called fancy dinner. There's this mom who brings out the china and the crystal goblets and then she turns down the lights and she puts on some candles and she uh, serves her son dinner and he never notices that he has spinach mixed into his marinara wow that's brilliant and how do we keep kids from uh you know strangling each other that's chapter five yeah strangling each other so um one mom grounds her kids against playing with each other she says, like, no more playing with each other. And then they, like, sneak around to find ways to play with each other. And that's how they make up. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness. I love that. Yeah. And then there's a mom who uh, decides sometimes to declare that it's everybody's unbirthday. They make each other cards and they bake a cake. And it's sort of like a lot of these techniques are like distraction, distraction techniques. And a lot of them probably work best with um, younger kids. But it makes everyone be in a better mood and, and it doesn't replace communication and talking, but um, it just like changes the mood so that not everyone is yelling at each other. Yeah, it's an energy changer, and we need that at any age. Hillary, are there any uh, weird parenting wins that you've kept with you from your own childhood? Oh, that's interesting. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but you know, something that my mom did on me is because I didn't like eating when I was a kid. It felt like a waste of time to me. And so she would trick me into eating by calling everything a snack. So she would, like, make a chicken make chicken cutlets. Like, that would be uh-huh. the dinner she was making for her and my dad. And then for me, she would, like, get it cold and then cut it up into little bite-sized pieces. And she'd be like, it's chicken snack. It's oh. okay. You don't have to have dinner. Right. No dinner for you. You're the snack girl. Hillary. Yeah. It's snack exactly. time, baby. Uh, what about your own daughter? Do you see yourself in her when you were a child? We're pretty different. <laughs> um, 
the thing that we have in common, I think, is that we both get really obsessed with making projects, and it can be really hard to, like, tear us away from making the project. We get pretty, like, intense and zoned in on something. But um, I'm an introvert, and she's an extrovert, and so we're, we're very different in that way. So how did an introvert get such a popular podcast? It was a challenge to myself, I think, to get myself to talk more. All right, which is a weird parenting win in your own self-parenting. Yes. Author Hilary Frank, she writes young adult coming-of-age novels. You can find more at hillaryfrank.com. And if you want to be entered to win this book, Weird Parenting Wins, email me from the website casey.co. And while you're at the website, look for the country line dance we're going to have on February 23rd. We're going to have a dance instructor show us how and find out about the Shinon Retreat Weekend, the first weekend in March at Mariondale in Ossining. I so appreciate you tuning in. Our thought for the day honors Dr. Martin Luther King, whose holiday we celebrated earlier this week. He said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.